This is Carl. Don't be afraid. The Don't treasure. be scared. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is the money. There's no other developed country with anything like the wealth of renewable energy resources that Australia has. It's the number one issue facing humanity, and it's the number one issue for me. Now for Tackling Transitions, our regular look at the people and projects moving Australia towards zero emissions future. And honestly, this segment could be a 24-7 news service. Now, there's an idea. Beyond the immediate energy crisis, we're going to take a look at some significant renewable projects that are about to come online. Your guide here is Dr Nick Abberley from the Clean Energy Council. Good morning to you, Nick. Morning, Catherine. And to explore the challenges of getting more renewables rather to connect to the grid, we'll hear about Victoria's largest new solar suburb and town centre, which has dealt with a maze of transmission and regulatory issues to include large amounts of solar into the suburb's design right from the start. Now, Lachlan Bateman is the energy consultant behind that housing development. He's managing director of Clean Energy Partners and helps design microgrids, big batteries, all those kinds of projects. Welcome to you, Lachlan. Hi, hi, Catherine. Great to be here. And thank you both for joining us on uh, Tackling Transitions. Lachlan, I might just begin with you, given uh, we just outlined that solar suburb. It's in, it's in Kinley. Can you just talk me through what has been developed here in terms of power supply? Sure, Catherine. So, um, so Kinley is a new suburb um, in the east of Melbourne, and uh, and look, it's uh, it's it's been in the planning phase for for a number of years, and and the first houses are being built there now, and will be built over the the coming years. But but what um, we were involved with from the planning point of view was to try and uh, realise this view of a hundred percent solar on every rooftop, um, which um, sounds you know simple, I guess, but. Um, uh, normally, in these sort of residential um, areas, there's a there's a there's a threshold over which you know the um, the owners of the poles and wires start to say, look, there's just there's too much of this uh, solar capacity coming online, and we either need to curtail or or stop the um, stop the installation. So, but uh, the developers of Kinlay Intrapack, they they had this very strong vision from the outset that they really wanted to go for 100% solar. And uh, and so we worked with them and Osnet, who was the um, the power company there, to to demonstrate that um, with some modest changes to the infrastructure, they'd be able to install, you know, solar on every building, which mm. is which is pretty exciting. Yeah, you <clears> mentioned <throat> the infrastructure there. I mean, we're constantly hearing about on a national level how our grid needs to be upgraded to take on you know the renewables that are expected to come online at that at that macro level. But what did you find more at the at the local level was the, were the challenges of going down this path of putting so much solar into a suburb about the grid, about stability? What 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 did you what were the headwinds that you faced? Yeah, so I mean, I think with the where we got to, uh, as, I, as I said, the changes were fairly modest. So, um, in practical terms, um, there needed to be some um, additional, I guess, transformers installed on the site, and also some changes in the settings on the inverters that um, that are connected to the solar arrays. Um, but what was what was sort of more challenging was just sort of going through a process, which which was new and um, hadn't been done before. So there wasn't really sort of a guideline as how you approach a, a suburb with 100% solar. 
And so that required quite a few, I guess, uh, quite a lot of modelling and um, iterative work to demonstrate, you know, what, what needed to change and, um, uh, and, and uh, what, uh, yeah, what we needed to do to, to get 100% solar up. So just how much solar is going into this project? I mean, in a, in a sense that how many homes could this, this power and what might it mean for, you know, energy bills? Because we're all grappling with that at the moment. Absolutely, yeah. So it's quite big in the in the scheme of things. So it'd be about up to fifty thousand panels, and uh, that that would equate to about fifteen megawatts of capacity. Uh, so that is that that that's the equivalent of a, a medium scale solar farm. So certainly, there's um, there's, a, there's a lot of solar farms dotted around the country that are that are around a five megawatt mark. So that's that's larger than that. Equally, there's um, solar farms on the grid, uh, which we might hear about from Nick as well, which are 10 times that size, but it is pretty significant in the scheme of things. And, and yeah, for it to sort of sit within the uh, context of a suburb like this is um, is new. Yeah, Nick, can, uh, I, can I just, yeah. you brought in Nick there, Lachlan, for me. So I'll just ask him to, to reflect on your comments there and this project. I mean, how significant is this approach? Because, Nick, we know it's, you know, one, one, one thing to really build these projects, but to get them swiftly and efficiently to connect to the grid is another. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think projects like what Lachlan was talking about are, are fascinating. I mean, the, the truth is there are lots of, different types of solutions for our renewable energy transition. And the truth is that we need all of them. Uh, as, you know, as Lachlan was saying, whether it's a, a whether it's a 500 megawatt solar farm out in, a, out in farmland or, or whether it's a 10 or 15 megawatt uh, facility built into a suburb, I mean, these are all equally important. We need all of these things. Mm. Uh, Nick, we know, uh, Lachlan, excuse me, 80% of homes in, in Victoria use gas for heating. We've seen just how reliant that state, amongst others, you know, in the eastern seaboard are reliant on gas. But will these homes in this solar suburb even be connected to gas? They will, yeah. So there'll be a, there'll be a gas and electricity connection for these, um, for these properties just to um, sort of cover all options. Uh, but, but I guess with the um, with the level of solar going in on the site, there's going to be certainly an incentive for people to use electric devices and uh, and really make the most of that um, that that free energy that they're going to be provided when they move into their new house. Mm. Uh, Nick, we in the introduction we mentioned that there's you know a range of solar products just waiting to come online. You've been involved in a a huge number, and it's not just solar here that you know, we're looking at with the Kinley project. I mean, you're looking at wind farms, super batteries, pumped hydro. Can you talk me through a few of those, just beginning with the um, McIntyre wind farm? Now, that's southwest of Warwick in Queensland, and it's looking at being one of the largest onshore wind farms in the world. Yeah, that's exactly right. A very exciting project. Um, just for those who aren't too familiar with southeast Queensland, it's about 100 k's south of Toowoomba, uh, and you're right, it's one of the biggest in the world. Uh, there's there's one bigger one in, in the US and I think one in India. So this is going to be about 1,000 a, a megawatts. So, you know, this is the size of, a, of some of our coal-fired power stations. Uh, it's going to have about 180 wind turbines, each of those producing about 6 megawatts of, of capacity. Uh, you know, the wind, turbine, wind turbines and wind farms tend to be quite spread out. Um, it's on, on sheep grazing land. Uh, covering about 36,000 hectares. You know, this is a big project, uh, but it's also going to power about 700,000 homes. So, you know, I think 
we get we get, we're seeing more and more of these very big wind farms coming along. Um, you know, McIntyre is one of the biggest, uh, and I think it's really exciting direction that, that we're able to connect these types of projects to our electricity grid. And looking on the timeline in that, it's expected to be operational in 2024 because I think where a lot of people get disheartened, particularly you know, this week and the last couple of weeks where we've seen the energy crunch on the east coast of the country, they hear about renewables, what's in the pipeline, but it seems often there's a, an understanding that they're too far away, but this project itself says, well, actually, it's not. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they just had their first sod-turning ceremony uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I think. Um, I mean, I think probably a lot of people don't actually realise we're already getting a third of our electricity in Australia from renewables. Of that 33%, it's about a 50-50 split between large-scale projects, so big wind and solar farms and, and hydro uh and then the other 50% is rooftop solar. I mean, we've got over a million uh, Australian homes with rooftop solar now. So, you know, that's a, that's a third of our electricity that's coming from renewables. So I think one of the situations is that, you know, we just tend not to see them, right? You know, they're, they're out in the countryside. People don't see it. They just switch on their lights and, and everything works. And I think that's how people want it. Um, you know, the, these wind and solar projects are, are being built all over the country uh, in, all, in all corners of every state. Uh, and there's lots of them, right? You know, there's mm. there's big ones like McIntyre, and I'll, I'll run through a couple of other ones. But you know, there are there are dozens of projects uh, under construction right now. Sixty six projects under construction, uh, or, or financially committed right now. That's that's seven gigawatts of capacity, uh, and there's another six gigawatts of of projects that are you know almost at the at the approval stage. So. There, there are many, many projects coming um, and, you know, I guess it's testament to the pace of the energy transition that we're seeing in Australia. Do we know, though, that whether this is enough to uh, replace the retiring cold fleet? We heard from Daniel Westerman, the head of AEMO, um, in a recent speech pointing out that the National Connection Team was managing 189 new projects, but is it enough to replace, you know, what the retiring coal um, infrastructure and, and fleet? Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, this is kind of the $64 million question and built within that are a lot of assumptions around exactly how fast those coal-fired power stations are going to close. Uh, in in its last big report, the Australian energy market operator said that coal-fired power stations were closing three times faster uh, than people had previously anticipated. And we're seeing that uh, in Victoria uh, with the Yawn power station closing in 2028. We're seeing it in New South Wales with Araring, which is one of the biggest in the country, uh, closing by 2025. So the, the, the Australian energy market operator says that by 2030, we should have uh, 25 to 30 gigawatts more uh, large-scale renewable energy than what we have right now. So it's basically tripling of our large-scale renewables uh, this decade. Mm. Um, in the last 12 months, we've connected three gigawatts uh, of wind and solar farms. The year before that was three gigawatts. So on that kind of trajectory... Uh, we are actually on track to getting the renewables we need to having quite a few of our coal-fired power stations, if not most, or even all of our coal-fired power stations, closing 2030, early 2030s. And do you think that um, the Waratah super battery, this um, 700 megawatt standby uh, network battery that's up in the New South Wales Central Coast, is going to be key to getting all this electricity onto the grid? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Waratah super battery is fascinating. I mean, it, it, it hasn't 
uh, taken full shape yet. But you're right. I mean, what the New South Wales government is calling for is tenders on a to build a 700 megawatt battery. Uh, this would be the largest in the southern hemisphere. Uh, although it's really interesting to note that the size of, of what we're calling big batteries is just getting bigger and bigger. Uh, it was only a year, a year and a half or two years ago where the Victorian government uh, commit, you know, procured the what they're calling the Victorian big battery, yes, uh, which was 300 megawatts, and that was the biggest in the Southern Hemisphere at the time. And is that thanks uh, then, to technology improving or governments and, and, and private companies putting money behind it? I mean, the, the, techno- the cost of the technology is dropping so quickly. Um, you know, as you... As you're in the process of procuring batteries, you can basically just see the costs coming down. Uh, and that's one of the, the great things about technology, right? Technology becomes cheaper over time as it improves. And we're seeing that with batteries. So, you know, a couple of years ago, where we were talking about a one or two or 300 megawatt battery, now all the discussion is about four, five, 600, 700 megawatt batteries. And, and those will play a critical role because obviously it's not always windy, it's not always sunny. Uh, but the role that we'll see batteries playing and also things like pumped hydro is that they will essentially act as sponges. They will absorb all that extra solar power and wind power you know, when it's sunny in the middle of the day or when it's windy overnight, and they'll store up that energy and then they'll discharge it you know, in the evenings or when people get home and turn their air conditioners on. And that's the way that our electricity system is going to work in the future is you know, lots of renewable energy you know, generating when it, when it can – uh, and then storage capacity like batteries and, and pumped hydro, mm. you know, filling in the gaps in between. Mm. Uh, Lachlan, I'd be keen to hear from you as, you know, the engineer behind powering up uh, this new suburb in Kinley in Victoria. What has business been for you like over the last two or three years? We've had uh, policy uncertainty, target uncertainty, but now that seems to be changing with the new government. Are you noticing any changes now? Yeah, Catherine, no, we, we have noticed a change you know, in, in the last you know, few weeks as far as sort of clients' engagements with projects. I mean, the last couple of years, we heard Nick talk about some of those connection rates, which are, which are high and you know, going in the right direction. But but we but business was definitely down for us um, over the last uh, last couple of years uh, with those with the volume of that work sort of dropping off. So, uh, but one of the things that I think's really helped and and, and helps with um, with uh, the, some of the issues that Nick's highlighted is um, the new government's commitment to firstly upgrading the transmission lines because that is really a key. Uh, it's a key element of getting you know the power from A to B. Heard Nick talk about the fact that we're going to there's a lot more sponges going into the network with batteries, uh, but there's still a very strong need for increased transmission to move the energy around the network, and that 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 actually addresses a lot of the issues. Um, that we've been seeing in the last couple of years as far as getting more renewable capacity on the grid. Uh, and the other one, of course, is the commitment to, uh, you know, I think 43% of uh, carbon abatement, but that actually translates to something like 80% renewable energy by 2030. So that's, we sort of get to see the exact sort of incentive for that, but it sends a very strong signal that, and, and quite a few projects that, you know, have been sort of somewhat dormant of sort of kicked back into gear literally in the last couple of weeks, which is which is really good. Well, Lachlan, one of our listeners, John from Yapine, has says Kingley is a non-story unless they have storage. How will they charge their electric vehicles overnight? Yeah, so the work that we've done demonstrates uh, that 
you can put in the solar and and the storage only really helps the the um, the, the power system from uh, or the, yeah the, the the power system designs that we've done. So it doesn't restrict the need to, uh, or, or the option to put solar uh, batteries in. So they they're able to do both. But the, actually, from the power systems perspective, the worst case is just you know those fifty thousand panels sitting on those rooftops pushing power during the middle of the day. Mm. And so we've demonstrated in that, which is the worst case from the power systems perspective, that's fine. And then you know, if you add storage, that's really only going to help things from the um, from the power systems perspective. Well, Lachlan, we heard from Nick there about the, the McIntyre wind farm, the Waratah super battery, and you, and you touched on, uh, Nick, the Kidston pumped hydro. Lachlan, the challenges that you face with uh, getting a town from an engineering and set up perspective for getting a town uh, on solar, I imagine would be quite different to harnessing the renewables from wind uh, or pumped hydro. What separate set of unique challenges might those renewables uh, throw up at you? Well, interestingly, the, the studies that we did were actually, you know, largely the same. We do we do do studies for like much larger projects, um, you know, in the hundreds of megawatts, and so you know, fundamentally, the 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 basic sort of power system checks that we were making for the Kinlay development were essentially the same the same issues that you're looking at for um, for larger projects. So you're looking at what's what what it was doing to voltage. You know, is there enough um, capacity in the lines and the and the transformers to to transfer the energy? Um, I guess what what becomes uh, more more of an issue for these larger projects is is really going into detail on the the dynamic response of the of the generator. If you know if there's a fault on the network or or one of the other big generators trips off, so that that's where you really start to go in a lot more detail on these larger projects and, and just because essentially they're there to support the grid um, and and there's a lot of technology in the inverters and, and mm. all the other equipment that's installed to do that. And just briefly, Lachlan, one of our listeners wants to know what happens to the panels when there are severe hailstorms. Yeah, so they're all, they're all tested as part of the um, – as part of the sort of Australian standards and international standards. So – uh, there's very there's very few instances of of um, smash panels in in hails, and and that's because they're just so so robustly tested. Um, the the panels that get put out on the rooftops um, of homes are a bit different to the ones that get put out in the field, so they're usually a bit smaller. Mm. Uh, and so you know they do things like throw you know firing you know metal metal ball bearings at the panels you know during the testing phases of them. Right. Um, and so they are they are pretty robust. Not to say it doesn't happen ever. But, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're well-tested and robust. It's not like you can drive them into the garage, what you do with your car when it's out on the street where there's no, a warning. Right. Um, <laughs> Nick, I'm keen to hear um, about if we do manage to develop our, our power system that's more reliant on renewables, let's say, by this 2030 with some of the examples that you've given us, does that mean that we are not going to be impacted anymore by these international factors such as war and price spikes that we're seeing right now? Yeah, there's no question about that, absolutely. Um, I mean, you look at what, you know, one of the core reasons why our electricity prices are so high right now is because our coal and gas is competing on an international market. You know, we, we export a lot of our coal, we export most of our gas, and so we are linked to those international markets. Our gas prices have gone through the roof because Russia started a war with Ukraine, uh, and that is affecting the, the, the price of gas here. 
if you take coal and gas out of the electricity system, then you're not exposed to that kind of volatility. And, you know, the, the wind projects, solar projects, um, they can, you know, beat into the, the system. So, it, you know, whenever they are generating, they have no fuel costs, right? You know, the, the, the wind blows for nothing and the sun shines for free. So they have no fuel costs, which means they're actually quite, you know, very they're very cheap to, to operate. So that, that's one of the reasons why, well, that's a core reason why renewable energy helps bring electricity prices down. I mean, obviously there's a cost of construction, but the operate the operating costs for renewables is very low. And, and it does also give us that energy independence, for want of a better phrase, where, you know, if we're seeing this challenge that uh, some of the European countries are having right now, you know, Germany and Italy that have previously been sourcing a lot of their, their energy, their, their gas from Russia, uh, are now trying to figure out how to not do that. We here in Australia are blessed with a, a, a wide land that is very rich mm. in in wind and solar. You know, even not just because of the scale of the country, but you know, it is a it is a very sunny place. It is mm. a very windy place, so, so and we can use that to our advantage. Just a final comment, and briefly, if you wouldn't mind, if storage is the key to all of this, is there now a race on to develop storage? Just like we saw with the boom in in solar production around a decade ago. Oh, look, I, I don't think you can just say that storage, storage is the is the crucial part. I think this is really a triumvirate. I mean, this is about getting the right balance of of generation, uh, storage, and transmission. I mean, you know, Lachlan was talking about the importance of connecting all these projects. So it's not just. I mean, we certainly need to be ramping up our storage capacity, but we also need to be ramping up our generation capacity and, and getting the grid upgraded to, to accommodate all those projects. Mm. Well, it's been fantastic and fascinating uh, speaking to you both. Thank you so much for joining us on Saturday Extra. Thanks very much. Thanks, Catherine. Great to be here. Dr. Nick Aberley there is the Director of Energy Generation and Storage at the Clean Energy Council. And Lachlan Bateman is the Founder and Managing Director of Clean Technology Partners. And he's worked on projects such as the Lord Howe Island Microgrid and the ACT Big Battery. Well, up next, how food has shaped Australia. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.